Amen. All righty, let's get this. So for ICCM, we have to give a couple sermons. We actually, we, have, we write one every single month. And we had a choice this time. It was between Ecclesiastes, Ezekiel, um, and Haggai. I chose Ecclesiastes, okay? Now, Ecclesiastes is one of the most different books I've ever read. But man, is it special. It's got some special stuff. This is going to be called The Circle of Life. The Circle of Life. <laughs> All right, a little introduction on Ecclesiastes. So it's translated as one who addresses an assembly, a teacher, a preacher, one of these sorts. Now, it says that this was a king of Israel and that it was a son of David. Okay, so many people say it's Solomon. And what is, what is special about that? Well, let's, let's, take a, let's remember what happened with Solomon, right? He prayed for wisdom when God said, what do you want? But it wasn't just wisdom like, hey, I just want to be smart so I can do this and that and this and that and get this. No, he said, I want to lead your people wisely. Why? Because what is the greatest form of wisdom? The greatest form of wisdom is not only leading yourself, but helping lead others in some way. And sometimes it's not just by force, it's by inspiring someone. It's by being unapologetically you, expressing what you're feeling in that moment, praying very strong, good news, all of that such. That is wisdom right there. And we must be very careful every single time we speak because every single thing we say is being listened to by all of us. Okay? So the first one, the first point is going to be innocence and ignorance. Come on, bro. Innocence and ignorance. And we're going to go to, we're going to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 7. Let me know when everyone's there. Light is sweet. And it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. But let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know that for all these things God will bring you to judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Remember the creator of your youth. What does that make you think? Well, maybe, what did I think of God as a kid? You know, I, I don't think necessarily we all had an understanding, an intellectual comprehension of, oh, well, God is probably, you know, this omnipotent being that's outside of time and space now. At the end of the day, when we were children, we were innocent and ignorant. But that's not always, a, that ignorance is not a bad thing in that state. Why? Because at that time, we were not holding on to a lot of pain. The wounds we had were not much below the surface. They were, they were little scrapes. They were little bruises. They were not deep psychological, emotional pain yet. We didn't even understand that yet. Every day we woke up, it was like, wow, a new day. 
I get to do whatever I want. Oh my gosh. Play. I want to play with this. Hey, I want to say this. You don't think. Why? Because you're not worried. You're not worried about what happened yesterday and you're not stressed out about what's going to happen in the future. Why do we hold on to so much pain now? Why do we hold on to so much pain now? Why? It's pride. And oh, man, how could he say that? You know, pride, but that's my pain. It's okay to feel pain. It is okay to feel pain because we all feel. And if you don't feel, you're numb. But the difference is, are you going to let it control you? Are you going to let it steer your every single decision? Are you going to let it make every single day miserable because you are not able to release it? We all got pain. No one is special. Some may have experienced different things, but I really want us to focus on what does it mean to live as a child every single day? What does that mean? It means that you have to go back a little bit. You have to wake up, and your first thought cannot be, ah, oh, man, war. Ah, all that stuff happening in Ukraine. Ah, inflation. At the end of the day, these things are happening, and we need to care. We need to understand some of these things because they affect brothers and sisters around the world and people in general. But when we wake up, we got to remember, let that stuff go, at least in the moment. It's okay when it comes up, but when we wake up, Every day, we need to remember we are children at heart. We are going to approach the day with joy. We are going to approach the day with excitement like we just began it. Why are children so happy? It's because they're living in the moment. They are living in the moment. And that is stuff that it takes years for adults to actually accomplish. They need therapy. They need prayer. They need meditation. They need to talk to people. And that's okay. But this is the thing. That kids have that naturally. Yes. Kids have that naturally. We've just built up all these masks, all these walls, all this pain and layers of facades yes. in order to try and almost persuade us that we are not children at heart still. Yes. And when those little things happen, what we just add them on. No, we need to expel them because at the end of the day, a child does not take everything to heart. And when they are hurt, they let it go very quickly. And you move on. They move on with life. I understand I'm talking about children right now. But come on. Let me, let me see a little joy in here. Like some children, bro. I mean, at the end of the day, bro, I don't want to be talking to people that look dead. Okay? And I'm not saying that disrespectfully. Okay? Understand this. I am saying this simply because if we're going to talk about being children, I want you guys to feel it a little bit. What, do you remember being a kid? Is there no memory left? Do you have any joy, any happiness, any remembrance of, like, something good in your life? Because, I mean, I want to see it, bro. I want to see it, guys. Oh, yeah. Amen. I appreciate that, Chaz. This man's a child at heart right here. <laughs> they have a sense of peace and awe of life. They don't need somebody to say, let's get it going. They feel it. You have to calm them down, not hype them up. You have to calm them down. And this is what's interesting. What does it say about the kingdom and children? What does it mean to enter the kingdom as children? Let's go to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, 14 through 15. Let me know when everyone's there. We'll go 13 through 15. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. 
All right, let's keep that childlike heart in mind, okay? It's going to be Mark 10, 13 through 15. What does it mean to enter the kingdom like children? All right, ready? People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. You got to understand, this is deeper than me saying, oh my gosh, let's act like children right now. But do you really think, you know, I'm up here having fun being like, oh yeah, let's act like children. I'm doing it because there's a point, okay? I'm not trying to embarrass myself, but it's okay because I'm not embarrassed in front of my brothers, okay? It says very clearly in verse 15, truly I tell you, Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. It does not say may. It does not say maybe. It does not say, well, you know, if there's sometimes. It says will not enter it. Will never enter it. Now, if we are really going to get in touch with that childlike heart, we kind of need to know why are we doing this. First of all, there is value in being that child at heart because why? You let things roll off. You're not sitting around moping. You're not following into depressive states for periods of long times, okay? But also, God is saying, when we receive the kingdom, it's not just, ah, I can go to heaven. I understand this. God, I get it. It makes sense. It's not logic. You are understanding that you are a child. You are a child realizing I am entering into the kingdom of God, not as the man, not as the woman who was saying, oh, I am depressed. I am sad. These are my wounds. This is my pain. This is where I've been. This is that. No, you are entering to be reborn. We say that so much, reborn, reborn. And yet we keep acting the same way. What, I mean, what are we really being reborn of in that sense? It, is it not just words? Is it not just saying, uh, well, it technically because, you know, it's like you're forgiving the sins and then you're clear and then you're innocent. Like, that's why it's like they're saying, no, it's deeper than that. It's deeper than that. And the truth is, look at me. I've been one of the most reserved people, the most introverted people in my shell people you will ever meet. Ever met. But the thing is, I learned that sometimes you got to be that little kid. I want to lift up Chaz because that man always got the heart of a child. And he inspires me to realize that you need to break out of your shell. Because why not? What are you afraid of? Genuinely, what are you afraid of? People judging you? Does that really affect you? If it does, are you really even a child at this point? You're like an old man who's barely making it through saying, man, well, I remember back in my day. No. Today is this day. Today is this day. And then I'm just going to go to Matthew 18. You don't have to go here. But it says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, 
you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. It takes change. Unless you change and become one, you can get baptized and not understand that. And I'm not going to go into a salvation issue. What I am going to say is we are called to do the most we can, not the minimum, okay? Every effort. Now, what? Let, let's help each other out here, okay? Because we're going to talk, oh, we want to become children. How? How do we do that? It's easy to say something, but let's talk some basic principles, okay? Well, most people who took this survey that were asked, what are childlike qualities? Anyone have some they just want to even throw out? Just say them out loud. Quick to forgive. forgive. What do you say? Curiosity. Curiosity. Trusting. What you, innocence. Uh, Trusting. Trusting. Friendly. Active. Active. Jared, what do you say? Forgiving. Forgiving. Curious. Adventurous. Justin. Content. Content. Okay. You see, this is the beauty of it. We're not just called to be alone. Hey, I have to be this child. We are called to spur one another to be those children too. It's okay to have fun. It's okay to have fun. There's no need to be serious at all times. What are you so serious about? This life is just a mist. You really want to go back saying, oh, man, you know, I took it so serious. I probably could have had a little bit more fun. But this is what it says. You hit all of them. Trust, wonder, and awe. Wonder and awe. Everything, even looking at that bug like Chris does, okay? That wonder and awe. Playfulness and humor. It's okay to joke, guys. And we got to learn how to take a joke too, okay? Because that's all part of having fun, okay? If it cuts, this plays into the next one. If it cuts too deep, be open and express the emotions and feelings. Get them out the way. We need to reach an understanding. Being willing to learn and grow. Being willing to learn. A kid, bro, they want to learn anything. You know how many questions a kid asks that honestly are just not necessary, but they still ask because they want to know. They care. They have a desire. Tenderness. Being close to one's conscience. There's no buffer zone. There's no veil that they have to take away and then they live in two different worlds. No, they are close to their conscience. Creativity and imagination, joy, eternal hope, easy forgiveness, undying love. Now that is something we need to focus on. That is something we all need to learn because it is easy to say the greatest form of love is giving one's life for one's friends. It's harder to apply it. And how do you apply it? It doesn't just happen. It takes training. I appreciate your service, my brother, and I know you're going into it. But that says a lot about you. Let's give him a round of applause. Amen, bro. That is a childlike quality, as much as it takes a lot of maturity to give one's life for another, because that is undying love. Boundless exuberance and energy. This is what I had to learn. I was never good at this. It takes zeal! Okay? I don't do that, but I'm going to do it. Why? Because it's okay to be uncomfortable. And if you're afraid to be uncomfortable, get uncomfortable because you're just going to wither away. I'm being real with you. Always thinking the best about life and other people. 
be that positive person. Earl represents this. He farts rainbows. He will always be positive, and I really appreciate that because why? It lifts everyone up around you, okay? Now, we're going to go to, we're going to finish it up a little bit. We stopped off. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We got to, uh, we got to, uh, we're at verse 2 right now. I'll start one sentence ahead. And the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop. When the grinders seize because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim. When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades. When men rise up at the sounds of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets. When the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire no longer is stirred. Then man goes to his, his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring, or the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Now you might be wondering, why am I talking about children so much, okay? Well, first of all, it's all part of this overall theme. We had Innocence and ignorance. The next one, point number two, is college and knowledge. College and knowledge. That's from my rhymers out there, okay? History doesn't repeat, it rhymes. All right. So what happened, and I'm not talking about only people in college. I am talking about that age group, okay? So when we, when we see the transition, right, we just talked about that undying love, that easy forgiveness, that absolute exuberance, no fear whatsoever, what happens? Why, why, why are people in high school and college, how all of a sudden do you just feel the world so deeply you go into this dark abyss that you can't get yourself out of? How does that happen? And how does it spiral so quickly out of control? Because I'm sure we've all been there at certain times. And we've had midlife crises. Okay? I don't even care if you're 20. You've had an existential problem in your life where you questioned everything and you said, dude, what am I doing with my life? What am I doing with my life? Now, the thing about Ecclesiastes that's so interesting is it talks about three main subjects. The three subjects, and we'll go one by one, so no need to write them all down now, but are wisdom, pleasure, and work. Okay? In between that stage of childhood and adolescence, and teenager, and young adult, what we see is someone being conformed by the world. We see a a young, bright sponge, a bright light, slowly being dimmed. We see someone who was so eager to learn and so happy about all there is to be, slowly realize maybe they can't do it. Maybe that's not what I want. I want to be that. I know I want to be this. Why? Because we look at what? Things like wealth. We look at things like pleasure. We look at things that aren't actually childlike. We look at things saying, I want to be old. I want to be a grown-up. 
And we so quickly forget the joy of our youth. We so quickly forget the joy of our youth. We're going to talk about wisdom first. And we're going to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Thank you, guys. Got to keep that childlike heart when we're listening, okay? We are here to constantly shift something in our mind or our heart. It is not just a listening party. All right, chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. Let me know when everyone's there. Amen. Let me get that smile, Jerry. There we go. That's a, that is that beautiful smile, that childlike smile. There we go. All right, verse 16. I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who was ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. My biggest question was why? Why with more wisdom and with more knowledge can that bring more sorrow and more grief? Why are the most intelligent people often the most depressed? Why? We're talking about people who can tell you the quantum mechanics of the universe, but yet can't tell you what's wrong inside them. And you may not even know quantum mechanics of the universe and still not know what's going on inside you, okay? It's not just for the people that know that, okay? And it made, me, it made me really ask that because I was so curious. And I realized I found myself in this position. You know, I was so dedicated to learning. I spent four to six hours every single day just reading. Every single day for so long. And I gained so much knowledge. And I do not say that proudly. I say that because, honestly, I know what I took in. But this is the thing. You can isolate yourself so easily. There's a reason it was the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. Because sometimes that knowledge is not always what you need. It depends on what knowledge are you taking in. And is wisdom just retaining knowledge or is it actually applying it in a godly way? What's another thing about that? Why do they say being at the top is lonely? Well, maybe it's because you feel like no one can understand you. You feel alone even in the presence of others. I could stand up here, and I don't feel this way, but I can stand up here and feel alone, like I'm talking to an empty space. That's why I said what I said before. Because as much as the people listening want to feel moved, the person speaking does too, at all times. And that is our responsibility together. So I appreciate you guys for just even listening right now, okay? I'm going to go a little deeper into this, okay? When you gain that knowledge, when you gain that wisdom, and you see deeper into human nature. The reason you have more sorrow, the reason you have more grief is because you start to see people's true intentions. Now, I would hope that's not happening a lot in the kingdom, but we're imperfect. But when you're in the world and you have this knowledge and you have this wisdom, wow, is it easy to see through people. Is it easy to even see family members and say, this person is shallow. And not in a judgmental way, but man, almost like I wish I could connect with this person. What is preventing me? What is preventing me? And it's not up to us to say, hey, you're shallow. It's up to us to say, hey, 
look at the good news that I have. Look how I've changed. Look how I've seen how to become a child again. Because you don't have to be shallow. You don't have to be sad. Look at this. We can do it together, okay? You start to see the imperfections in people, and you start to see what a fallen world looks like. A fallen world is depressing. There's a reason why if you watch the news enough, eventually it'll be all you think. You will be living in a fierce state, and it is a delicate balance between understanding world politics, war and peace, and falling victim to a fear mentality and being afraid to actually live. The reason why wisdom hurts is because ignorance is no longer bliss. It's taken off. It is taken off. We're going to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 7 right now. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, 1 through 6. Y'all ready? All righty, let's go. Hey, we're focusing right now on what it means to be a child. Why did we get to that place? Okay, I'm just giving a little summary right now, a little recap. We're getting now, we're transitioning, we're in middle adulthood, okay? That's where basically most of us are at, okay? All right, chapter 7, 1 through 6. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to, a, than, go, than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to heed a wise man's rebuke than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. It reminds me a little of the Beatitudes too. Blessed is, is the one, what is it, who mourns or who is sad? Help me out, guys. I don't want the one who mourns. Amen. Why? Why, why is sorrow better than laughter? Why is a sad face good for the heart? Aren't we supposed to be children again? Hold on, I'm confused. Why is the heart of the wise in the house of the morning? Well, you can still have the child of a heart with the mind of someone that is mature and who understands life. You know what it is? It's adversity. Sometimes it is adversity. It is pain. It is sadness. It is betrayal. It is heartbreak that makes you appreciate life even more. You can laugh with people your whole life and realize, dude, first of all, I don't even know these people. Second of all, my life is a mess. Third of all, I have no understanding of any of this. I am just laughing because I see other people doing it. I'm following the leader. I'm jumping off the cliff right after the next guy. No. Like we said, it's okay to feel. Don't sit in it. But if you see someone feeling something, you go to them. You hold them tightly. You hold them closely. Why? Because you may not know it yet, but the same way you might be helping them, they are helping you. They are giving you so much insight and wisdom, so much wisdom in those moments because they're experiencing pain and they're having experiences and inputting knowledge that you have not had the opportunity to have yet. 
They are blessed to gain what they are gaining and they are gracious by giving it to you, by sharing in their sadness, by sharing in that pain. That is powerful. Let's go to verse 10. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. We got to stop reminiscing so much. Okay? A child lives in the moment. You think they're living in, in preschool every single day? No, they moved on to kindergarten. Okay? They moved on to kindergarten. Verse 16, verse 16 through 18. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? Sometimes we can try to be too wise. Okay? I'm guilty of this sometimes. I remember back in the day, I used to have conversations with people, and I would get to a point where I got lost myself. And I mean, bro, I'm like, I'm like feeling it the whole time. I'm feeling so good. I'm like, man, I'm really hitting these points. And then at the end, I'm like, and then, wait, hold on. Let me, I would t- literally take like breaks and be like, hold on, I need to catch myself. And it just ended awkward. You know, the person is like, dude, this person is lost. You lose it, Okay. Do not be overwise and so destroy yourself and the message you are preaching because you're not just destroying yourself in this process. You're destroying the gospel. <laughs> you're destroying an opportunity for someone else to see this. And then do not be over wicked and do not be a fool. I don't think that needs explanation. All right. Ecclesiastes 6, 11. We're hopping around. Chapter 6, verse 11. The more the words, the less the meaning. And how does that profit anyone? (laughs) Less is more. Less is more. But we have to understand that we must be concise. To be concise is to not waste people's time. Who are we to take something from someone that is so valuable? We're talking about life itself here. We only have so much time. Who are we? to waste somebody telling them things that are not necessary, that are, in all honestly, just selfish attempts at gaining attention. Do you really need to hype yourself up that much that you need to speak so much? Let's get right to the point. Ecclesiastes 9, 17 through 18. Chapter 9, 17 through 18. All righty. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Now I'm sure you're thinking, man, this dude's been screaming the entire time. It's a little hypocritical. I can see that. I see you. I just saw that myself. It's okay, you know? We're all open to encouragement, okay? So encourage me after and criticize me after for what you think is going to be constructive. I appreciate that. But it is true. There is a famous general in the Chinese army that said, Sun Tzu, he said, the greatest victory is that which requires no battle. You don't have to fight everyone. Speak, be concise, get to the point, and handle it with the power of words. Pleasure. Pleasure. Ecclesiastes 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 8 through 11. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of men. 
I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was my reward from all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Mm. Pleasure. What happens when you, do, do, you, not, you don't deny yourself anything? There is no pleasure you deny. Well, that's where a lot of us were at one point in our lives. I was there, that's for sure. And I'll tell you what happens, for me at least. After a while, when you indulge in enough pleasure, it doesn't even become pleasure anymore. It does not become pleasure anymore. It becomes just another task, a ritual, another schedule. Well, I'm going to go do this. And the saddest part is the more that you do something, the less you learn to appreciate it. Now, I want us to really understand the whole point of really staying pure among our sisters, okay? What is, the, what is the reason we do this? Why, when we're dating, why do we try and stay above reproach? Why? Because do you want to be that person who, while getting married, is thinking, man, I already know everything that's going to happen. There's nothing new. I don't even know why I'm doing this. I've already experienced it. There's power in waiting. There's power in self-control. And that starts on an individual level when you are alone at night. It is not just with sisters. This is with you, yourself, and you. I forgot that other one. Just you, okay? All of us, we've been there, and we will continue to be there. Solomon had over 700 wives and 300 concubines. What, it, what happened with that? You think that really helped him? Nope. You think that made him understand love finally? Nope. No, what it did is it made him love other gods. It brought him to foreign gods, and that's the same thing God warned him of. I'm going to read this real quick. This is not for my married people, okay? This is for the singles. For the married people, y'all go to Proverbs 31, okay? But I'm going to say this real quick. I find more bitter than death, I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap, and whose hands are chains. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. That cuts, that cuts deep. Work on resensitizing yourself. Resensitizing yourself. When you were a kid, Everything was sensitive. You didn't worry about these sexual things you do now, this lust you see now, this lust of the eyes or of the flesh. Why? Because that was not your top concern. What your top concern was, do I love this person and am I having fun around them? Uh, that's going to be Ecclesiastes 7.26. Work. This is a big one. We all have had our moments in work where we were on the verge of quitting. I was probably a couple weeks ago. And Ecclesiastes speaks about this a lot. In Ecclesiastes 4, 8 through 12, it says, There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I, for whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. 
Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Who are we working for? Who are we working for? The Lord. Amen. Okay, so what does that mean? Yes, there's going to be times where you don't want to go to work. You're not enjoying yourself. You're not having fun. But it's not about being at work, getting your job done, just getting it over with. It's about learning, readjusting your mind, renewing your mind to say, I am going to find comfort. I am going to find peace, joy, and excitement in my own discomfort. It's not about moving away from your discomfort. It's not about avoiding it because you will never be able to, no matter where you run. It's about saying, I am so stressed right now. I have so much on my plate. I am running here, back and forth. I feel this. But the truth is, God, thank you. Thank you. Why? Because this is making me grow more than being comfortable in a comfort zone of just ignorance is bliss. Does anyone really enjoy just laying down in a bed of lies every night? No one does. No one does. But the truth is some, we, we do it at times. Why? Because it's comfortable. Get out of the comfort zone and realize that God brought you there for a purpose. The last point. So we went from a child to now an adult. Teenager to an adult. The last one, old and cold. <laughs> I'm not looking at you, bro. You made direct eye contact with me, bro. No, he's, a, he's old and warm, okay? Old and cold. There's a famous lyric that I love. It says, will I, when I'm 60 years old, will I think the world is cold or will I have a lot of children who can hold me? Nope, that's uh, Lucas Graham in seven years. They say on your deathbed, you either feel two things, triumph or regret. Everything else is just a subset of that. You either feel triumph or regret. You know, they asked a lot of people on their deathbeds, what, are your, what, what is your regret in life? Well, I'll read some to you. In the same way you had to look and put yourself in that position of a child and an adult, put yourself in the lens of an 85, 90-year-old man laying in a bed with his family surrounding him. Take a moment. Like, I mean, I'm not just saying this. Like, let's take a moment. Almost close our eyes and picture it. I mean, you are at the end of your life. You are taking some of your last breaths. Your family around you who have so much life to live in, you know it. You know they're nowhere near. But yet you are slowly fading out of their lives. Slowly fading out. Now, they asked them, what are your top regrets? Well, some of them said... I wish I hadn't compared myself to others. What's the point of having insecurity? Let it go. There's no, there's no purpose it serves you. God did not intend for you to be insecure. You were made in his image. I wish I would have lived life for myself. We're called to help others, but we're not here to people, please. And that means even family. I wish I didn't work so much. Take some time and relax time to time. Not everything is serious. Not everything revolves around money. 
It is important, but take some time. Enjoy the family that you have while you have them. I let anger get the best of me. Anger is one of those things that comes in the split of a moment. Doesn't mean if it's just frustration or rage. It comes and it can easily overtake you. I spent my entire life in my comfort zone. I hope and I pray to God that no one on their deathbed has to say that or even think it. Because the truth is, some might be too afraid to say it. I didn't give as much as I took. We're called to be givers. Who wants to feel like they stole life? I wish I'd taken more chances. I wish I would have kept going. I didn't give up. I wish I'd told others how much I loved them. I wish I took better care of my body. Too late. It's too late, man. It's too late. I'm sorry, but that's your fault. I wish I took that advice. I wish I would have let it go. I wish I stayed more in touch with friends and family. I wish I had more confidence in myself. Maybe I would have made something of my life. I wish I trusted my intuition. I wish I walked the walk. See, there's only two ways you can die. You either run out of time or the time just passes by. Would you rather be killed by an ugly truth or a beautiful lie? And if you could choose to go to your funeral, would you cry? And what's the reason why? Would you be dissatisfied with the thoughts trapped within your mind? You see, keeping everybody blind doesn't mean that you can hide. It just means you already died long before anyone said goodbye and you finally realized that you never were alive. No one wants to feel that. But that's a humbling little poem. Why? Because we still have life to change anything we need to change. It starts tonight and every day after that. Forgiveness. We're going to talk about people at the last moments of their life on their deathbed. Many people struggle to forgive even in the last moments when there's nothing left to gain. Why do we hold on to anger and, and, and we don't forgive people? Why? Because then we have power over someone. We're like, yeah, but they hurt me. Yeah, no, they're bad. That's why I'm better. That's the only reason we hold on to it. If you're about to die, that even doesn't matter anymore. And yet people struggle to forgive. That's just pure pride. Forgive someone when they're still alive. Because the truth is, it might not only bring them peace, it'll bring you peace. It'll bring you peace. But there's a flip side. So there is this book called The Sunflower. Now, what it's about, I, learned, I read this book when I was a freshman in college by a Jewish professor that I had. And it's basically about a soldier uh, who, was in, who was in the Holocaust. He was a Nazi guard. And there was a, a young boy who was one of the concentration camp Jews, okay? And basically, this little boy was asked to come into this hospital to help clean up, to help with this hospital, basically just doing tasks. And he was asked to come into the room of this old man on his deathbed. This was the Nazi guard. This is a true story, okay? So when he gets in there, the man says to him, he says, I've had something that's haunted me every single day since it happened. About a year ago, I came up on a building with 300 Jews in it. It was me and a couple other people. And we were told, we were ordered by a higher up to massacre every single person in there. 
And I'll never forget, I saw this one family trying to escape. I saw the father holding the children. I saw the mother gasping for air, crying out. I killed those people. I killed them like it was nothing. I shot people jumping out of the windows. We ended up bombing the whole place. I witnessed 300 people get killed in front of me. And you know what he asked that young boy? He said, can you please forgive me? This is a little kid. This is a little kid. That's, that's a lot of weight to put on someone. Are we really called to put the weight all on someone else? No, it's not their responsibility. Now, aside from whether, what, what he should have said, that's not that person's responsibility. We're supposed to cry out to God. But what did that little boy say? He didn't say anything. He left. He ran out of the room. And he always asked himself, should I have forgiven him? He felt guilty. And he ended up meeting with his mother, that Nazi guard's mother, who had no clue about any of the atrocities her son happened to be a part of. And when the mother questioned what her son was doing, he lied and did not make it seem like he did what he did. And at the end of this book, it presents this crazy moral dilemma. It's, right, it's written from his perspective. This is a true story. He said he asked 53 theologians, political leaders, writers, jurists, psychiatrists, human rights activists, Holocaust survivors, former Nazis, victims of attempted genocides in Bosnia, Cambodia, China, and Tibet. And he asked them, what should I have done in that moment? Out of 53 people, nine said, I don't know. Those nine people would have said nothing and walked out. Out of 10 people, at 10 people of the 53 said, I would have forgiven that person. And 34 said they would not have forgiven that person. It's just interesting. And I would beg you to question, what would you have done? I mean, if we can't forgive, how do we expect to be forgiven? Isn't that part of the Lord's Prayer? The last little section, I'm almost done. Coming clean. It's like, man, we start off pure and innocent. And we take on all this dirt. We take on all this pain, all these scars. And then it's like at the end, you either wait till the end to get clean or you do it now or you've already done it, okay? The question is, are you a deathbed Christian? Are you a deathbed Christian? A lot of people come clean on their deathbed because they know that they won't have to deal with the consequences. They live with secrets their whole life until the very end and they just can't take it anymore. They're not even strong enough. They can't even bear their own lies. Do you wanna die with honor or shame? Do you want to die with honor and shame? Because the truth is you might be the only one who knows, you and God. Some people admit to murders, infidelity, lies, self-harm, sins, on their final moments, and they leave people broken. And now I, I had to ask myself, man, okay, well, I mean, they're confessing. Is that repentance or is that selfishness? 
Because if you really felt that way, I need, the truth needs to come out. I need to say this to people. Because why? Because they deserve to know. You would have done it. It doesn't take death and fear to cause you to do that. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. Bringing it in for a landing. Proverbs 28, verse 13. He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Dude, this is something we need to do. I mean, I can stand up here and say that all day, but you need to feel a conviction. And I hope I'm speaking to myself at the same time. This is not directed at you. We need to feel so much conviction that the littlest things, whether it be in the past, the present, or even in the future, we are open. Our brothers know very soon, very soon, because in that little time of you holding it in, you can almost convince yourself it's not that bad. I don't need to. Tonight, if you have something on your mind that you have not confessed to, something deep, even if it's something you might think you never would have said, you need to tell somebody because it will put you at peace. Psalms 139. Don't turn here, but this is what it says. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Close your eyes and search your heart and mind right now. I'm going to purposely give us, even if it's 20 seconds, to actually think and say, is there something that I'm holding? Now, the interesting thing is for some people, it might be immediate. You might already know. For others, you might have actually had a really deeply search, but you may have found something. Why? Because you tried. You tried to look. Not everyone can wait for their deathbed. Why? Because some people don't get a deathbed. Some people's deaths are right around the corner. It's just a fact of life. I'm not even going to go there. And what are we afraid of? in confessing, hurting our self-image, hurting someone else. I beg the question, what is worse, hurting someone else or living in a lie? Mm. You might cause someone some temporary pain because of your own wrongdoings, but do you really want to try and convince people you're someone you're not? You really want them to see you in a way that is not your true light? because you weren't able to actually have the courage to tell them the truth. I've run from the truth many times. One was six years when I almost killed someone. Six years. It never left. You can't run from your conscience. You never will. You're only running from God. And I got deeper and deeper away from God to the point at which I was numb. Nothing mattered. Everything is meaningless. But it wasn't because I feared God. It was because I feared the truth. I feared the fact that I might actually have to be open about this. And eventually I was. And what happened? That man forgave me. 
his friend forgave me as well. Some will only want to read the Bible and talk about God in their last moments. The question is, is it out of faith or fear? Many devout atheists request clergy, pastors, and priests on their deathbed. And now that, now that we've been talking about deathbed confessions, let's bring it to scripture. Luke 23. Luke 23. Luke 23. All right. Luke 23, 37 through 43. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written notice above him, which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for what we are getting, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. That's a deathbed confession right there from two different perspectives. Some of us might be faced with that same dilemma. No one in here should think, I'm obviously going to be the one who's saying, uh, God, you know, Jesus, you know, let me come into your kingdom. Be aware of that because... This is a battle we fight every day, and no one is too strong. To wrap it up, as the cycle of life progresses, we've seen childhood to adulthood to old age. As the cycle of life progresses, we find that our once well-educated, expressive, intellectual, deep-thinking selves become slower, more forgetful, more more confused and surprised by everyday life. What was once mundane, we began to see in awe. We decide if we want to become like a child spiritually. But let's hope we decide that before we become one physically. Because at the end of the day, father time does not mess around. We have made the decision to become a child spiritually. But some don't, don't make that decision until they are made a child physically through dementia, Alzheimer's, debilitating vegetative states. Some people, either way, we're all going to be made children. Again, let no one be confused. Everyone is going to be a children. It just depends, did you choose to? Or did life choose for you? It is not death that a man should fear, but he should fear never beginning to live. Marcus Aurelius. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Cowards die many times before their deaths. The valiant never taste of death but once. And when your time comes to die, be not like those whose hearts are filled with fear of death, so that when their time comes, they weep and pray for a little more time to live their lives over again in a different way. Sing your death song and die like a hero going home. The fear of death follows from the fear of life. A man who lives fully is prepared to die at any time. I wanted to take everyone on a journey tonight, and and it's over. 
It's getting over. I'm, I'm finishing this up right now. I'm sorry that it was so long. But there's a quote. It says, when I die, I don't want flowers. I don't want tears. I certainly don't want people flying to come and say goodbye. If you love me that much, what are you waiting for? Send, them, send me those flowers now. Come see me now. Please don't wait till I'm gone. Love me today. If we want to do anything for one another, let it be today, let it be tonight. Do not hold on to it and do not take any moment for granted because the thing is, God can see an invisible rope behind every one of our backs. There's a different length for each one and each one depends on how much time we got left. We don't see that, but all of ours are slowly getting a little shorter. Appreciate the life we have. Appreciate those around you and say what you need to say now. Confess what you need to say now. Express what you need to say now because you might not have the chance. And what is the purpose? Because Psalm 119, blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. Life may be meaningless, but at the end of chapter 12, it says, but there's one thing for sure. Fear the Lord and keep his commands. This is what life is about. If we keep that the focus and seeking God and praising God and being blameless and walking according to his statutes is how we live life. Despite the fact that it comes and goes, you will enjoy it and you will bring God glory. To God be the glory. Amen.